Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Good morning and welcome to Dirt Radio, Friends of the Earth's radio show on 3CR. We are coming to you from the lands of the Wurundjeri people in the Kulin Nations and I want to start by acknowledging that sovereignty of these lands has never been ceded and to pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Today on the show, we will be speaking with Jack McPherson, a River Country intern who has been researching the myths around the Murray-Darling Basin. This year at Friends of the Earth, we're celebrating 45 years of resistance. It's been 45 years since we uh, began mobilising communities, resisting the oppressive forces of patriarchy and capitalism and transforming our future to be one with climate justice for all. So after the after this break, we will be talking to Jack McPherson about some of the myths that he's been looking into. Uh, and after that, we will be hearing from Catherine McBride, who uh, is a concerned community member, um, also a family member at Tolano Station, and a very well-informed person indeed on the happenings within the Murray-Darling Basin. We'll be back after this community service announcement. Well, if you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, it's sure know where you are. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. We'll check out the happy vibe. We're gonna ring up and subscribe. If you listen to 3CR, flap your ears. What? Who the hell is that? Flap your ears. What are you talking about? I ain't no elephant. Get out of here. This is handmade radio. Flap your ears. Get out. Get the hell out of here now. Welcome back. You are on Dirt Radio with Megan, and joining me in the studio today is Jack McPherson, who has been interning with the River Country Collective at Friends of the Earth. Welcome, Jack. Hi, Megan. How are you? I'm very well. So, to start us off, can you give us uh, just a little 101 about who is Jack McPherson and why is he interning with River Country? Uh, okay, so I am a uh, university student, third year in uh, the States at a little school called Denison, which is like middle of nowhere. But uh, I'm over here just currently doing a study abroad program with SIT, uh, Sustainability and Environmental Action uh, Program, which is like based in Brisbane. But we kind of just travel all over the place to go and you know see Tasmania, see the different um, important direct action 
movements that have been uh, all over Australia. And the idea is to kind of get us really informed about how uh, Australia is kind of their movements have like really kind of developed and grown into such a probably stronger environmental movement than is in the States. And hopefully we bring it back. So the second half of our program is to do an internship. And I wanted to do something regarding the something with water, something with the drought. I was really interested to um, seeing everything on the news and seeing how bad it was. I wanted to get kind of involved and see what, you know, we can do uh, to like kind of really secure water for everybody in Australia. Um, so I kind of immediately looked around and saw Friends of the Earth had a great campaign for Rivers Country, and I just kind of contacted them and got involved, and luckily here I am. Great, and that's that's what brought you here. So tell us, um, we're going to call Cat McBride in soon, so we won't go into too much detail. But, um, yeah, tell us, what have you been looking into? What I've been really doing is just examining all the common misconceptions that uh, I think some Australian people have of uh, kind of the Murray-Darling Basin plan and... um, just kind of the the impacts that it's had on communities. Uh, so there's just been I'm trying to put together different graphics to see, uh, just to kind of put it out there to the masses to disprove a lot of what the misconceptions are and the different myths. Fantastic. And so just to rail off a couple of those myths, we've got controlled floods do not help fish populations breed. Environmental water is killing trees in the Barmamillua forest. Environmental water is being wasted, just being sent out to sea. That's one I've certainly heard a lot. Um, and you've got um, yeah a handful more there, which we will talk to talk about right after this. <laughs> Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. back with Dirt Radio on 3CR. Today you're with Megan and we're talking about all the myths that exist around the Murray-Darling and the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. With me in the studio I have Jack McPherson, an intern uh, with the River Country Collective and on the phone we have Catherine McBride from Tolano Station. Hi Kat, how are you going? Hey, Megan, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, And now, Jack, 
just before the break, we talked about a couple of the myths we've been you've been looking into. Um, could you pick out maybe the most interesting one to you and tell us what the myth was and what you found? Um, I would probably say for me the most interesting that I thought was just very surprising was uh, the myth that a lot of people believe that environmental waters killing trees in the Barma um, Milua forest. Um, I just think that that's something that, uh, especially once you understand the uh, how the plants grow or how the trees are um, reliant on the floodplains there, that is just a really surprising myth that a lot of people kind of believe that. Mm. And to give us a bit of context, um, Kat or Jack, um, could you tell us, like, does anyone know what the foundation of that myth is? Like what it is that makes people believe that environmental water is doing damage in the in the Barma Milua Park? Kat, you want to take that one? Uh, yes, sure. So a lot of people are concerned about when that water is coming down um, and also the impact that it's having on um, people who are irrigators and um, plants around that. Now, what people forget is that obviously a floodplain named a floodplain because it's supposed to flood out um, and floodplains actually need water and need that regeneration um, that, that that water brings. So um, it's an interesting myth. I'm not quite sure of the origins of it, uh, but yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a popular one. Mm, it sure is. I know there's a lot of concern about the overbank flows going through the Barma Choke. So it's one of the narrowest parts of the Murray River. Um, and with the Darling in the situation that it's in, it's obviously not supplying any river to the Murray. So the Murray's being run very, very high to supply irrigation demand downstream. Yeah, um, that's correct. Yeah. And so, Jack, can you tell us what um, what did you find when busting this myth um when i was really looking to bust it i was i looked at more of the um the ecosystems in the forest itself and just how it is absolutely reliant on just a a floodplain to be there uh and they don't really have uh, any other way of kind of um operating if they don't really have that water i mean pretty much for the last ever, ever since the rivers were, you know, dammed up and have been um, kind of manipulated. The whole ecology of these systems have like changed, and there's just been a lot of different, um, different growth. Like diff- you see growth of different trees in different areas because there aren't as high flows at certain times of the years, and that they try to they try to make the flows more consistent throughout the entire year to supply for irrigators where in kind of the natural processes, that's just not really, um, that wasn't the case. Mm. And uh, the River Country Campaign has a long connection with the Barma Milawa National Park. We, um, Friends of the Earth, was involved with the Yorta Yorta people uh, in protecting it as a national park, and so there's a very soft spot in our hearts for that area. Um can you talk to us about another one of the myths that you found, Jack? Um, I would say another one that was quite surprising to me was the one that was controlled floods don't 
help um, fish populations breed. Don't help help fish populations breed. Was that? Yeah. 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 Um, and I just I really thought that was something that was again just really um, surprising because kind of if you're really looking at it from a biological standpoint, uh, kind of even all over the world that a lot of fish rely on seasonal floods that really kind of tell their biological rhythms like oh it's time to breed it's time um especially especially here uh a lot of the times um the floodplains especially become like perfect nurseries for uh for a lot of fish and honestly the 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 problems now is that since there aren't as high uh floods as there used to be naturally that a lot of the times these fish they're still they're breeding and they're having a really successful or relatively successful breeding operation but they aren't able to grow into adulthood because their water levels aren't high enough for long enough so i just i think this was a myth that i was really kind of eager to get after because it just seemed like one that to me seemed like one that could be busted pretty easily Mm. so what you're saying is that like maybe the origins of the myth are in that the fish populations and the breeding isn't seeing fish go to full maturity, but it's not because of flooding in the forest. It's because of other factors impacting them throughout the as, as the fish mature. Exactly. That, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And um, cat, obviously one of the biggest and most impacted fish breeding grounds in the Murray-Darling Basin is just about on your doorstep, the Manimbi Lakes. Um, Have you noticed, or, you know, what can you tell us about controlled floods and fish breeding uh, from your experience? Yeah, so uh, it's definitely um, a myth that um, is not believed by the uh, the federal government. So the federal government have actually been standing up loud and proud talking about how they created high flows in 2017, which was one of the best uh, breeding events for cod in um, the basin. Um, now, that, that is perfectly true. You know, there was a fantastic cod breeding event in 2017. Um, unfortunately, now that there's no river um, and cod are territorial fish, there's no river for any of those wonderfully uh, bred fish <laughs> to survive, uh, which is a bit of a um, sad point. But I mean, the federal government have you know been um, espousing how how much benefit they got from uh, a manufactured flood back in 2017, and we definitely saw that on the Lower Darling. It's just a shame there's no water in it now. And um, was that that? Um you know, that the release of water there, that wasn't associated with the emptying of Menindee Lakes, which we've talked about a couple of times on the show, how, you know, the Menindee Lakes was drained twice in four years. Um, th- th- was there any association with that event and the draining of the lakes? Yeah, definitely. So um, in early 2017, uh, the New South Wales government and NDBA released huge amounts of water down the Lower Darling, which obviously um, resulted in a really positive um, fish spawning or cod spawning event. Um, But what it did do was drain the Menindee Lakes much earlier than what would have naturally occurred if the lakes had been allowed to drain at a more natural rate. Um, And 
with all of the rule changes up in New South Wales, which means that low flows just don't get down our river anymore, the Menendee has run dry and there's now no water left in the river or the lakes mm. for these fish to survive. Which obviously isn't helping fish populations or their breeding. So no, it's definitely hard for fish to breed when uh, there's no water around. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I'd say so. And so, like from that, from that, with that, like in mind, do you think controlled floods? There is a place for controlled floods in helping fish populations breed. Like, where, where do you stand on um, on that myth? Yeah, definitely. So I, I think we can um, use controlled floods and use um, or manufactured floods um, to help these events happen. Um, I mean, there have been events like um, this that have happened in South Australia and the Chowila floodplains, which have been really beneficial when they've um, released water from Menindee and um, down the Murray at the same time um, to put water into the Chowila. Um, what we need to do, though, is make sure that the water that should be getting into the system naturally through, you know, natural floods are allowed to happen. And for that to, you know, for that to happen, we have to put a limit on how much water that um, can be taken through floodplain harvesting. Uh, it's not harvesting. It's, um, you know, it's stealing water from a river. Um, and if we allow, you know, policies like floodplain harvesting to go ahead then we won't ever have floods again and we'll lose all these species. Mm. So in a way we don't, you know, we, we shouldn't have to be mimicking and, you know, trying to reinvent nature. We should just be allowing these rivers to, um, you know, have some of their natural um, flows and have follow their natural rhythms and th- that yeah, exactly. itself would work wonders for the fish populations and the populations of all species that live on or along the, our rivers. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we don't have to um, manufacture floods. They should be happening naturally. Absolutely. Now, um, probably have uh, time to go through one more. Well, I'm, I'm going to bring up a topic that it kind of touches on a few different myths. Um, and that is the environmental water is being wasted out to sea. And that's certainly one that I've seen... Ridiculous. Um, ...seen bounced around a few times. You know, the idea that water in our rivers should stop before it reaches the ocean because we wouldn't want to waste that precious fresh water, would we? Of course. But, you know, what? <laughs> what is the truth behind that? Like, do we need to see water running all the way to the ocean? Oh, I... Well, can I take this one, Jack? Yeah, please do, please do. Look, I think there's a really simple answer. When we were at primary school as kids, we got taught the rivers um, flowed from the source to the sea, uh, and therefore rivers actually need to flow out to sea. I mean, it's, if we can teach them in primary school, it's pretty sad that um, a large number of people think that it's a myth that, you know, that a river should flow out to sea. Um, you know, we need to accept that for a healthy river that it has to flow out to sea, that we have to get all of the nutrients, all of the waste out of our rivers. Because if we if we don't let it flow out to sea, then we're just killing ourselves off and it'll die slowly and slowly from the bottom up and then by you know, in a couple of decades there won't be anything left for anyone. Irrigators 
retirements, communities, there won't be anything for anyone. Absolutely. I mean, I heard a, a fitting analogy that if, if we thought of the river system as a person for a moment... You know, we have inputs going in through our mouth and we have, you know, circulation in our blood and things going around and, uh, you know, we have, um, we're hydrating ourselves by drinking water and, you know, we could save, save ourselves that water if we stitched up our nether regions, <laughs> you know, but that's not gonna, that's not gonna help us as a whole system if we just, you know, stitched us up from the bottom that's not gonna. That's not gonna keep our system in good shape. It's not gonna give us what we need to survive. And um, yeah, it's a good way to get dead quick. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> and so related really to that fun. one is the lower lakes are a saline system. So of course, if we imagined that the fresh water was stopped, you yeah. know, just before the lower lakes, and that there was only. Um, inflow from the ocean into the lower lakes that logically would make um, the lower lakes a saline system. Uh, what what do you have to say about that one, Kat? Yeah, so look, we know that if you stop fresh water entering the uh, lower lakes, then the lower lakes will go saltier than the Dead Sea. And there's absolutely no evidence to demonstrate that that has ever been how those lakes have um, functioned naturally. What we know is that uh, if you close uh, close off the river um, and open the lakes up to just salt water, then all of that salt goes into the lakes, the water evaporates, and the lakes just get saltier and saltier. And that's why we need fresh water coming down the system and mingling and flushing out that salt. Um, it's pretty simple. The science is pretty simple. I don't know why people can't understand it. <laughs> Absolutely. And so just to like think it through for a minute, like the rivers by flowing all the way to sea, they're transporting salts and sediments and um, nutrients and chemicals and all these things that are used along our rivers. They're transporting them down to the lower lakes, which are right at the bottom of the system. And... So th- they potentially could be more saline than the rivers themselves. Would that be fair to say that the the salt content in the lower lakes should be higher than the river or could naturally be higher than the river but shouldn't be a, um, a saline system per se? Yeah, definitely. So what we know is that um, in a natural occurrence where there is an irrigation or you know, any any water being taken out of the river for human consumption or irrigation or you know, stock use, then you know, if you allow the river to flow, we have ebbs and, and flows. And we know that when those ebbs, you know, when the river ebbs, then the lakes are an estuarine system that you know build up a little bit of salt, but then you get that big flow down and that flushes it out. So they've always had a level of salt content. What they've never had is no water getting to them. They've always had some flows getting to them from the, um, from the Murray-Darling system and helping flush that, that water out and that salt out. Otherwise, you get a one-way system and it will kill everything. Mm. And just before we wrap up, Kat, um, you know, who kind of benefits from all this mis- misinformation that's being kind of 
you know, permeated through the Murray Darling. Like, are there winners and losers? Oh, look, I think there are some winners. Um, some of the winners are um, irrigators, but at the same time, you know, the New South Wales government is benefiting hugely from this, this being um, pushed around. Um, whilst they, you know, they push through policy, which is killing our rivers. Um, but the more misnomers, the more um, vagaries that you create and the more myths that you create, the more difficult it is for people to really understand what is pretty a basic, you know, pretty simple system a river has to flow. Um, and then people are, are, you know, stand back and aren't prepared to speak out because they think it's all too complicated when really it's pretty simple. We need healthy rivers for healthy communities, whether they be irrigation communities, um, pastoral communities, Aboriginal communities, we need healthy rivers for healthy communities. Absolutely. And we might wrap it up on that note. Thank you so much for joining us, Kat. Fantastic. My pleasure. Megan? Yeah, thank you. And um, keep doing what you're doing. It's great to see um, strong advocates out on the river fighting for what the river needs, water. Thank you. All right, we'll speak to you later. That was Catherine McBride from Tolano Station. And um, Jack, just to close up the show, can you tell us where people can check out your myths and get more information? All right. Well, these guys should be up on the melbournefoe.org.au slash river country page. Um, also should be on our Facebook page, the River Country Campaign. Um, just contact us if you need any extra information and or just read through the um, the Foe website. It's always a great way to uh, stay updated and learn the latest news. Fantastic. Well, that brings us just about to the end of the show. Uh, Remember, if you missed any of the show um, or want to catch up, you can stream us on 3cr.org.au forward slash dirt radio. And um, up there is all of our other shows. We also have a special um, special 45-year series, which is available at 3cr.org.au forward slash acting up, where you can hear all about the fantastic history over 45 years of Friends of the Earth's creating cre- creative resistance. Uh, so to take us out today will be... Um, the hunters and collectors when the river runs dry. Thank you so much for joining us, Jack. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. We'll see you next time.